On this podcast, we talk about violent crime that's not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reform Podcast, a true crime policy podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Dudick. I'm an attorney and advocate for crime survivors and legal reform. This season, we have been digging into the Lady of the Dunes mystery from Provincetown, Massachusetts. And we are finally going to be talking about DNA and privacy laws that are involved with cases like these. We're talking about DNA and privacy laws as they relate to uploading an offender's or a victim's DNA into a genetic genealogy database and trying to find some sort of a match. So what are states doing around these laws and how do they even relate to cases like this? So let's talk about this case. The entire season we've been focusing on the Lady of the Dunes. She was the victim of a horrid crime. She was found naked and murdered in Provincetown, Massachusetts on the sand dunes on July 26, 1974. She was face down, had her hands and one forearm removed, and also some teeth removed. Her body has been exhumed three times over the decades since her discovery, and DNA has also been removed in attempts to find out who she was. If we know who she is, then it is much more likely we'll be able to learn who killed her. So since her discovery in 1974, forensic science has grown by leaps and bounds, What we're able to do with science now to help identify people as compared to what we could do in 1974 and using DNA, it was not even really contemplated over 40 years ago when she was murdered. Over the course of time since the discovery of her body, different investigative techniques have been used to try to identify her. In 1980, her body was exhumed and blood samples were taken. 20 years later, in 2000, her body was exhumed for a second time for DNA sampling and an attempted DNA match with Rory Kessinger's mother. If you remember, we talked about this before. She thought that her daughter, who had disappeared, may be the Lady of the Dunes, and they attempted a DNA match, but there was no match. In 2006, a clay model was made of the Lady of the Dunes' head, and also age regression drawings were made. In 2009 and 2010, Provincetown Police Detective Monica Himes and then-Police Chief Jeff Jaron worked with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Alexandria, Virginia, to develop a three-dimensional color composite of what the Lady of the Dunes may have looked like when she was killed. So science and time have been adding new dimensions to the Lady of the Dunes case. And in 2016, something else happened, which may prove to be the answer to finding out who the Lady of the Dunes is, and then to identifying who killed her. In 2016, a reinvestigation of the Golden State Killer case occurred, and it was centered on DNA evidence. This type of evidence was nearly non-existent 
in the 1970s when the Golden State Killer was active and also when the Lady of the Dunes was murdered. But this new evidence, along with the tireless work of Michelle McNamara, Paul Holes, and California authorities, led to the identity and arrest of former police officer Joseph James D'Angelo as the Golden State Killer. He eventually pleaded guilty to 26 charges involving rape and murder. He was sentenced in August of 2020 to serve more than 12 life sentences for his crimes. So let me talk to you about how he was identified. According to a Forbes.com article, first you have to profile the perpetrator. To do this, investigators collect biological material such as blood, hair, skin, or semen from a crime scene. In D'Angelo's case, they collected D'Angelo's DNA from a swab of his car door handle. The second thing to do is a genetic profile is then created. This profile will be able to be used to compare the DNA of the alleged perpetrator with others trying to identify them. I'm saying alleged perpetrator because we are alleging that this person is the perpetrator of these criminal acts. Therefore, calling him the alleged perpetrator, commonly called the alleged perp or the perp, is what you might hear a lot, but we'll, I'll just be saying alleged perpetrator. The third thing to do is that testing for comparison is done if other DNA is available. For D'Angelo's case, his DNA was compared with and matched to DNA taken from two victims that he murdered in 1980, Lyman and Charlene Smith. After this match, police then used a genealogy website to confirm the matched DNA results. Now fourth, if no DNA exists for comparison purposes, or if law enforcement wants to further confirm the DNA match results, as in D'Angelo's case, the perpetrator's DNA is uploaded into a genetic DNA database. This is a public database of DNA sequences that people have voluntarily uploaded into genealogy websites. These are websites like the genealogy website GEDmatch. The genetic profiles in these genealogy websites are there because individuals took a DNA test, like that available at 23andMe, and then they uploaded their results to learn more about their relatives, distant relatives from around the world, and also whether they may be more at risk of developing certain diseases. Now when law enforcement uploads this DNA evidence, it can be to try and search for similar DNA profiles as the one they've uploaded. They could be looking to identify a perpetrator, such as D'Angelo, or maybe they're trying to identify a victim, such as the Lady of the Dunes. The hope is that the uploaded DNA will be closely related to other DNA in the database so that a person can be identified. This happens because your DNA is approximately 50% similar to that of your parents, 50% of your mother and 50% of your father. And the percent of similarity reduces the further you go down the family line. So your DNA is 25% from each of your grandparents, and for each generation 
farther down the line, it will become less of a percentage point. The fifth step is that now we have to build a family tree using not only DNA evidence, but also more traditional genealogy methods, such as looking at birth and death certificates or census data. This can help build a large family tree of members who may be related to the person whose DNA has been submitted. Now the sixth and last step of this process is to identify the person, identify the perpetrator. After the genealogy DNA search and building your family tree, identify some possible suspects who may be the person you're looking for. Law enforcement then uses more traditional methods such as comparing physical features to witness reports or tracking someone's movements to see if they've traveled where the crimes have occurred to narrow down the list of possible offenders. This eventually leads to one individual, at least that is the goal. And in the case of the Golden State Killer, it led to Joseph James D'Angelo. So after seeing how successful this scientific approach can be to solving cases, in 2019, as reported in the tragic unsolved case of the Lady of the Dunes by Natasha Ishak on February 19, 2021 at allthat'sinteresting.com, Cape and Islands District Attorney Michael O'Keefe announced that they were going to use these DNA analysis and genealogy family tree building sites to try to identify the Lady of the Dunes. So, maybe using the DNA that's already been taken from her body and uploading it into one of these databases, maybe they can discover her identity. And that is where we're going to end things right now. It's been a pretty procedurally dense episode. So before we start digging into exactly what every state is doing and what the regulations look like by states for what law enforcement can and can't access, we're going to take a break. We'll pick that up at the start of the next episode. Stay tuned for next week but we might be dropping that a little bit sooner so that we are going to dig into different state laws and how they impact law enforcement access to this DNA evidence. As you can see with the explanation that we gave for how Joseph James D'Angelo was identified and captured for his horrific crimes, access to this information is important. But on the other hand... Access to this information can also be abused and it could be used to harm people. So we have to find that place in the middle. If you want to reach out to us or have any relevant information, please feel free to email at thereformpod at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll provide any information you have to the proper authorities. We also want to fully thank and recognize our sources and their work. A full list and links are available on our website at thereformpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to The Reform Podcast. Before you go, if you want to support the work we're doing, we want you to please go and 
rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you use. That is our ask of you this week. Your voice matters, and when you do that, it really helps us reach more people. The Reform Podcast is written, researched, recorded, and produced by me, Kimberly Dudick. You can follow the Reform Podcast and stay up to date on Instagram at the Reform Podcast, on Facebook at the Reform Podcast, on Twitter at the Reform Pod. Our theme song is Be Mine by the Missoula, Montana musician Tom Catmull. We're making this show on and around the traditional lands of the Salish, Pondere, Kootenai, Shoshone, Blackfeet, Chinook, and Multnomah peoples, and many other Native tribes. With deep respect, we acknowledge the Indigenous people of the West and throughout the United States. Wherever you are, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep searching for justice. By a darling when the door locked in my little finger Walked hand in hand And that was just the sound of a word or a sticker My thumb against some wood or something I, I got nothing planned And when the room is quiet It's either one of two religions Joyful noise or a wide open space The letter pulls you short from a crowded room With your pocketbook in your heart and your mind out of place Be mine Be mine Be mine Be Is hearing lovers kiss in darkened taverns while mining your home. But when your ears fill twice with chance encounters a charming third, and you'll someday find it stained to your bones. It is particular about company, and it sparks the flame of jealousy in those you hold close. And it has no fear of poverty, the bottle of solace. You see, you are what. It needs most be mine.